Welcome once again to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, Todd. Hey, Corey. Hello. So it's September and the election nationwide is heating up and in Utah it is too. We've got a couple of election topics. First one I want to talk about is Representative Steve Handy's writing campaign. So back in March, we talked a little bit about how Utah Representative Steve Handy from uh, Davis County. He lost the Republican nomination at the convention to newcomer Trevor Lee. Well, Representative Handy has not given up hope. He's declared a writing campaign. What does that mean? Well, instead of circling in uh, Trevor Lee or the Libertarian candidate, uh, as there doesn't seem to be a Democratic a Democrat filed to run, so it is going to be Trevor Lee versus Libertarian candidate or write-ins. Uh, the voters will need to write in Handy's name. Now, it's uh, we talked about this a little before. It's a steep climb. And apparently, according to Sally Tribune, a writing campaign has only succeeded once in Utah history, and that was about 50 years ago before I was born. So Handy believes he has a chance now uh, because he's been a representative in Davis County for several years. Uh, Utah no longer has the straight party ticket option, so people would have to fill in Trevor Lee's circle and not just uh, the Republican Party. So maybe that would cause them to think twice. Who knows? But uh, meanwhile, we've talked a little bit, a bit about uh, Trevor Lee. He's new to the political scene, but uh, he so he beat Representative Handy at the convention. And he's created a little controversy of his own through some comments he made on a podcast. We talked about that uh, several months ago, a few months ago. So now the Salt Lake Tribune seems to have found uh, a burner account that Lee used on Twitter to say some some of his controversial stuff. So among the things that they list is, uh, I mean, Trevor Lee's pretty critical of Governor Cox. Maybe he uses some kind of locker room talk. Uh, he clearly doesn't think BYU is conservative enough. He posts the hashtag Desnat. I don't know what that is. and Maybe you can tell us in a minute, Todd, what that is. In any case, uh, Trevor Lee posted some stuff about transgender and woke corporations. That really gets under the skin of the Salt Lake Tribune, of course. But I think some of the maybe some of the other stuff is what caught the attention of the GOP House leadership, especially the fact that Lee was using a burner account and not using his own name. So House Speaker Brad Wilson had this to say. He said, presenting one face publicly while posting demeaning comments behind a hidden Twitter account disrespectful to the people and the electoral process. I'm deeply disappointed that a candidate for the House of Representatives did not have this same commitment to transparency. And House Majority Leader Mike Schultz, uh, also Republican, of course, he says, these private anonymous tweets in no way reflect the values of the House of Representatives or the Majority Caucus. We collectively shake our heads at these types of Pierre Delecto type Twitter accounts meant to conceal a person's identity. So Pierre Delecto, of course, is the burner account that Mitt Romney famously used. So Trevor Lee has since deleted his secret Twitter account. Todd, I want to get your thoughts about Steve Handy's writing campaign and Trevor Lee's Twitter use. And is it going to make any difference? Yeah, I, you know, I think uh, other than the Mike Lee, Evan McMullen race, uh, most of the other races on the November ballot in Utah are pretty much, it's, it's really the second most interesting race to watch is what I'm trying to say, because most of the other races you know, either the Democrats going to win in Salt Lake County or the Republicans going to win outside of Salt Lake County. Um, for those of you that have not heard of Des Nat, it's a, it's a shortened uh, Twitter 
hashtag uh, for it stands for Deseret Nation, and um, it uh, it refers loosely to a group of church members who use the hashtag, not endorsed by the church at all. And I don't think it's um, it's a it's a group of people. I think it's people that kind of share the same ideology. Um, media outlets like the Daily Beast and the Daily Utah Chronicle have described Desnat as an extremist alt-right white nationalist movement. Sorry. The Guardian considers the group a right wing with elements of alt-right and white nationalism. I don't think that the group is all alt-right. I don't, I don't know that they're all white supremacists, but they have a very negative connotation. Some of the members, but not all of them, want to recreate the state of Deseret in which the, you know, the church declared in 1840s to cover modern-day Utah and parts of adjacent states. But I think um, more than anything, it's been used on Twitter to kind of like aggressively attack those with values that are different than the values espoused by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so mm-hmm. um, the creator of Desnat was, you know, was anonymous. Um, he got outed. Uh, his name is Logan Smith. I think he um, lost his job in Alaska. Uh, but but there were some there have been some hateful things associated with that hashtag. And so I think the two things. Um, well, first of all, the media has certainly decided that Trevor Lee is uh, uh, is to be an object of scorn. And I think every time there's a news cycle that casts Trevor Lee in a negative light, on one hand, it increases his name recognition. But I don't think it's in a good way. And I think that the media is trying to help um, Steve Haney. Now, Steve Haney is a friend of mine. He's a colleague of mine in the legislature. Um, I've um, I briefly met Trevor Lee once or twice. Um, Don't personally have anything against him. But um, I I do think that the the, the two things interesting about the new article is Trevor Lee used a term that is considered by some as a slander of the transgender community. And he publicly apologized for that and then went on to his anonymous account and continued to use that term, um, which I think that that casts his prior apology kind of um, as maybe it wasn't sincere. And also, uh, um, he has, you know, contacted people in real life um, who interacted with his anonymous account and, you know, texted them and other things kind of pushing the Desnat, um, you know, ideology um, none of this cast him in a favorable light. Um, I think the you know a betting man, if 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 you were to bet on this race, I wouldn't recommend it. But I think the odds are that um, a write-in candidate will lose. But I do think there's some interesting things about this element, uh, interesting elements about this race. In fact, Adam Brown, who's a political scientist at BYU, has commented that you know you can't count Steve Handy completely out, and um, so there is a path there for Steve. But I think it's a uh, it's going to depend on how many doors get knocked and and things like that. That would be really interesting if you were able to pull it off. It does still seems pretty unlikely because you'd almost need enough people upset over Trevor Lee's posts or something or be upset with him. And I'm guessing that most people don't know about them. And other than that Desnat stuff, which is interesting and, you know, doesn't sound super appealing, but um, some of the other stuff that he said, um, I'm not sure. I suspect that some constituents kind of agree. Maybe they don't like the way he said it or his rowdy tone and that kind of thing, but it's kind of a little bit like Trump. Some, some people, maybe they, maybe they don't love his tone, but they kind of like what he's saying sometimes. Yeah. I'm going to put a comment on our Facebook feed that shows a flyer that Steve Haney put out and then um, some comments. Well, uh, 
Trevor Lee's campaign, which I think is being managed by Joe Dubois, Dubois or Dubose, um, who's who's an experienced uh, political operative. He ran Mike Kennedy's campaign for U.S. Senate back in, uh, you know, when Mitt Romney ran. Um, so they've taken that flyer and they've put on, uh, I don't I'm not saying that Joe has personally done it, but somebody has put on Caillou, who's the, you know, the children's cartoon character. And basically uh, it has now, it's taking Steve Handy's flyer with now a bubble saying, well, I, you know, if, if truth be told, I actually voted multiple times to raise taxes, ran progressive <laughs> red flag laws and supported males competing against females in sports. And so um, this this campaign's getting negative very quickly. Uh, you know, the media, as I think, is launching the negative campaign, you know, on Handy's side. But uh, I don't think Trevor Lee's campaign is going to take this sitting down. So. Zions Bank, Utah's own Zions Bank, pulled its sponsorship of the Boise, Idaho Pride Festival. It went that happened about two weeks ago. Uh, they pulled their support after learning that the festival would feature a children's drag show. Several other sponsors also pulled their support. Zions Bank withdrew the same day the Idaho Republican Party chair released a statement revealing how the companies involved uh, were, as she said, financing the sexualization of children. Zions decision and the decision of you know several other entities, organizations to pull out has all been characterized by by our ridiculously biased mainstream media as far-right hate, which again goes to the point we were just talking about, everything is far-right hate. Um, I especially, sorry for this side note, but I especially want to highlight this new outlet, Axios Salt Lake City. Axios nationally has been a thing for maybe the last five or six years, but now they have this Salt Lake City affiliate, and they are so biased, so ridiculously biased. And these quote-unquote reporters are pretty extreme left and it drives me crazy to read their stuff because on so many issues, not just this one, it, it just makes CNN and MSNBC look like conservative outlets and it's beyond annoying. I just want to get that out. Sorry. Anyway, the Utah LGBTQ plus chamber of commerce has responded to Zion, Zion's decision by moving its annual economic summit from Zion's banks uh, headquarters in Salt Lake. And they're moving it to, I think, some place in South Salt Lake. Anyway, so the woke, woke mob is in full attack mode. Love to hear what you think about this, Todd. I first want to say bravo to Zions Bank. I think the gross sexualization of our children is just unseemly and appalling. Adults can do whatever they want to do. We're not talking about adults. We're talking about the fetishizing of uh, children's sexuality, and it should not be supported. So I want to say thank you, Zions, for doing the right thing. Bravo for standing up to the mob. Todd, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this was an appropriate move by Zions Bank. And I don't understand. I mean, so libraries in New York have been hosting children's book reading hours with drag queens. Um, we had a restaurant in Sugar House called T Zanti. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and they hosted a drag queen event and there ended up an Instagram post with the drag queen interacting with a young child that someone had brought to, to that event and uh, lives of TikTok, which is a, a Twitter account, um, retweeted that. And then the owners of this Salt Lake um, restaurant have been getting attacked for, on the social media from people really all over the world. Um, so I, you know, 
I think I've made my stance clear. I think that um, as a Christian, I think it's my duty to love everyone. And as a politician, I think that we should have um, a level playing field for all different kinds of people, um, whether they're um, gay or straight or, you know, whatever, male or female or, um, you know, Caucasian or minority or, or, or whatever the case is. I don't understand this um, agenda to say we have to introduce young children to trans uh, drag queens. I, I, I don't understand that. I don't think that that's something that um, most families are going to support. Not that they hate trans uh, transgender people, um, but, you know, there's been several reports of, you know, sometimes these drag queens when they bend over or something, you can, I mean, there's, it's just an awkward thing, especially if they're up above on a stage with young children. I don't, I, I don't think that this push to say we're going to have drag queens come in and read stories for our children. I don't think it's good for the transgender community. Um, I, I don't know how harmful it is for the children, but I don't know that it's necessarily good for the children. I think we can support our LGBT uh, friends and neighbors and community members without uh, having drag queens read books to young children. That, that's what I would say. I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, a, a number of opponents are kind of citing the, the law in Florida that, that restricts the conversations about sexuality to grades beyond third grade and age appropriate. And, you know, the, the critics have called it the don't say gay bill because they're trying to attack Governor DeSantis. But why do kids in first grade and kindergarten and second grade need to be talking about sex at all, regardless of what sexual orientation, just don't talk to them about sex. That's not the role of public school to be doing that. And I, and I think this is akin to that. Why, yeah. why do children, why do we need to fetishize their sexuality? How about we just don't do anything sexual? <laughs> yeah, let, let them let grow up and be kids. Ran in Utah, I would vote for it. There's nothing wrong with that Florida law. And the fact that the liberals and the media were so quick to pounce on it, to misrepresent it, um, and to try to demonize it kind of shows what the future agenda is. And, and I agree with you. I, I'm not anti, I don't feel like I'm anti-gay or anti-LGBT at all. But I don't know why a five or six or seven-year-old needs to be talking about sex with their teacher at school. I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand this at all. And that certainly wasn't my experience growing up. I grew up in Illinois. I don't think it was your experience here growing up in no. Utah. And, um, you know, I, we've talked about this before, but I think kids that age, probably some of them think that their teachers live at the school. They don't need to know uh, <laughs> yeah. if they're living with an adult male or female. They don't need to know about their sex life. And that's just not part of um, it should not be part of elementary school education. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And you know, I think these children, if you know, if one or another grow up and make decisions that you know they want to follow one path or another, then so be it. Um, we're, and, and I think you and I just want to make clear that we're not saying that they can't do that as adults. We're just saying it's not the place to have these conversations with children yeah. or to force I... them into our little cosplay at the Boise Pride Festival. I specifically remember as a second grader, my teacher that year was Miss, Mrs. Smith and her husband stopped by one day because he needed to drop off or pick up something from her. So she's like, oh, come on in. She's like, kids, this is my husband and he's a police officer. And I remember that, you know, I was six years old or so at the time. And I thought she has a husband. It never <laughs> dawned on me that Mrs. Smith would have a husband or that he would be a police officer. 
And this was like, you know, two minutes of my life, but it's something, it's one of the few things from first grade that I specifically remember. Now, if her uh, spouse had been a woman, I, I don't know that that would have scarred me for life. But again, when I was in first grade, I wasn't really sitting there looking at my teacher, wondering about her personal life. It just <laughs> it wasn't on my radar. Okay, we have uh, another story that's a little bit offbeat, a little bit different than what we normally talk about, but this one just really struck me this week. So a University of Utah student was arrested Wednesday for allegedly threatening to detonate a nuclear reactor if the school's football team lost their game. So basically, like, if Utah loses to Arizona this week, I'm going to detonate the nuclear reactor. I think it was the game before Arizona. It was oh, okay. The- <laughs> so, uh the San Diego State game. San Diego State, that's right. And, okay. and in fairness to this uh, this new defendant, they did lose to San Diego State last year, so they probably had a reasonable <laughs> reason to, <Yeah>. to concern. <laughs> well, so now this engineering student faces uh, a female, faces one count of threat of terrorism, a second-degree felony. So let me preface real quick, Todd, say, everyone, look, this appears to be a joke. If it's not a joke, okay, maybe it's a different story. But it appears to be a joke. She posted it on social media. It's kind of like me saying I'm going to drive off a cliff if BYU loses to Wyoming, okay? And Or, you know, like telling my son he's dead meat if he doesn't finish his homework on time. You know, kind of like a turn of phrase. In this case, the University of Utah does have a nuclear reactor, which was a surprise to many people. I noticed. It on, was a surprise my... to me, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> So they have an engineering program and there are nuclear reactors at some universities. I mean, usually it's the land grant university that has it, uh, you know, like Purdue would have it, for example. But, um, you know, the University of Utah has it and it and this student, she seems to be part of the program. So, you know, maybe it wasn't the kind of joke she should have made. But, you know, she said it was a joke and assuming it was innocent. OK, if it wasn't, then strike my words. But if it was just an innocent joke. Do we need to charge her with terrorism? Todd, what do you think? Well, yeah. So I, no one was more surprised that Utah had a nuclear reactor at the University of Utah than I was, first of all. Second of all, um, she was aware of it. She also has access to the building where it's housed. And I think that's one of the reasons why authorities took it seriously. Um, and third of all, even though she's been charged, she hasn't been convicted. Um, there will likely, like in 98% of all criminal cases, or at least 90%, there will likely be some type of plea bargain that's reached. I, I don't know that she should have been charged on the same time. I think we've all learned, you know, if you're going through TSA, like at that moment when you're at the airport going through TSA, you don't make a joke about a bomb in your suitcase. I mean, you can make that joke. And after you've been strip searched, you might regret it and you miss your flight. But I do think there's some things in our in 2022 that you just don't say out loud. And, and if she didn't cross that line, she certainly broached that line. So hopefully... If there was no threat and if there's evidence there was a joke that, you know, that they'll do something reasonable with her. But I do think, you know, we just live in a society where people are on the edge. Uh, Deseret News, Hinckley Institute of Politics survey this past week found 36 percent of Utahns would vote for Mike Lee and 34 percent would vote for McMullen if election were held today. So that's only two percent difference. 16 don't know who they'd vote for and 13% uh, would write in a third party candidate or, or vote for someone else. So this is a poll of registered voters. I know I'm getting a little pedantic, but I've, you know, as I've said this many times, like 
It's very different. Registered voters is a different methodology than likely voters. And at this stage in September, almost October, registered voters is really not super relevant at this point. And there, there are methods to ascertain who are likely voters and who are not. And some of it is, you know, as scientific as you can get, but, you know, not exactly scientific. This poll asks respondents if they're likely to vote. And 96% of them said, yeah, sure, of course I am. And among those, uh, 96%, it'd be 40% for Lee and 35 for McMullen, so a five-point lead. Now, I've been critical of these polls, and I'm going to be especially critical of this. Like, 90, Utah's not going to get 90%, 96% of voters to show up for the midterms. I, I couldn't find the exact number, and you probably know off the top of your head, Todd, but um, nationwide in 2018, that was the biggest turnout for a midterm election in like 50 years and that was around 50 to 54 percent so you know i think normal midterm elections is probably 35 to 40 percent 45 percent in in any given state so we can guess that you know 50 percent is probably on the high end um certainly not going to be 60 and it's going to be nowhere near 96 percent the point being like we don't know i mean this this is not really picking out who is most likely to vote and so in that sense, in a lot of ways, this poll is not, you know, not worth a whole lot. But even if it were, I mean, I, I again, I just don't think that 2%, like 36 to 34 is, is very realistic. And I'll mention this other one before we toss it to you, Todd. The deba- uh, Utah Debate Commission also commissioned a poll through an organization called Lighthouse Research. I don't know the methodology. I couldn't find it. Uh, but they have Lee up 48 to 37, so a 12-point lead, which actually seems probably a lot more likely, you know, closer to what probably the actual is going to be. But, Todd, do you have any thoughts on those polls? Yeah, so the Deseret-Hinkley poll, um, you know, of a 2%, 34 to 36. Let's put this into um, perspective because we would expect a statewide Democrat and Evan McMullen is running as an independent, but the Democratic Party changed all of their procedures to back him. So we would expect a statewide Democrat uh, to get between 27 and 33 percent of the vote. And Misty Snow, who ran against Mike Lee with no money and no qualifications um, in 2016, she got about 27 or 28 percent of the vote. Um, And so that's kind of the low end. And so I, you know, a good candidate like Mike Weinholz for governor, um, got like 20, like 33% of the vote. And, and he was well-financed and had a, you know, a very um, distinguished business resume. And so what this poll showed was that Evan McMullen's at 34%, which is just a blip above of where a statewide, you know, where I'd expect a statewide Democrat to land. And I am glad you mentioned that there was a five-point spread for the, you know, likely voters among that, because I think that the Two point, you know, again, is going to be great for Evan McMullen's fundraising, but I don't think it's a legitimate um, measure. So I do think a lot of Democrats will not re- turn in their ballots or will leave that 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 blank. In fact, Misty Snow has said that she won't vote for Evan McMullen uh, as the last Democrat to be nominated against Mike Lee. So I, I still think Mike Lee's going to win. I think this is a closer race than maybe you and I had predicted last week when we talked about it. Um, and um, I think that same Deseret News poll showed um, 16% undecided, which, you know, Mike Lee's been our U.S. Senator from Utah for 11 and a half years. So if you're undecided about him, that doesn't bode real well for Mike Lee. But I, I think it, when push comes to shove, 
a lot of Republicans and Republican-leaning um, unaffiliated voters will vote for Mike Lee because they're going to decide that keeping control of the Senate away from the Democrats is more important than maybe sending a message to Mike Lee. But if, if you're Mike Lee's campaign, you got to be a little bit nervous um, about such such a close poll. But also all of these polls show that Mike Lee is ahead, and I think he'll, he'll, he'll remain ahead. Well, it's also worth noting that uh, the both campaigns have put out some some attack ads, which I think are kind of interesting. So there's there's an well, the campaigns and also the super PACs that the, support, the PACs, so, mostly the PACs. Yeah. So a, a PAC supporting Mike Lee highlights how um, something we've talked about before. Ed McMullen still owes. Over six hundred thousand dollars for contractors uh, from his presidential campaign six years ago. Mostly law so, firms. Yeah. Yep, so there's that. And then uh, and then McMullen spot that he goes through, says Mike Lee has received nearly $4 million from corporate and special interests, which I'm not saying is not true, but it actually, I mean, it, once you're for, for sitting senators, that's kind of how they raise money. I mean, both parties do that. So on the commercial, on McMullen's commercial, he names all these organizations that have that have donated to Mike Lee's campaign. And of course it's just, you know, a lot of companies, a lot of large corporate PACs, which, you know, if, if, if you're opposed to that, then it's worth noting, but it's also worth noting that every member of Congress basically takes corporate PAC money, not every, um, but essentially every, and it's kind of, it's kind of part of DC. And um, I don't know, Democrats have been taking uh, money from pharmaceutical companies for, since the beginning of time and they just voted to set have government price setting so it didn't didn't really affect and i think uh i think republicans in many instances you know they'll take the corporate money and basically ignore corporations and vote how they want to vote yeah this whole corporations are evil argument is an argument that's typically made by democrats um you know to democrats and so this to me is just more evidence that evan evan mcmullen you know, that he's trying to appeal or the PAC supporting him are trying to appeal the Democrats in Utah to vote for him. And the problem with that strategy is there's just not enough Democrats in Utah to 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 win. Now, there are some Republicans that, you know, like Becky Edwards and Allie Isom, who are not real enamored with Mike Lee. Um, I don't know that either one of them have come out and said they'll be voting for Evan McMullen. It wouldn't surprise me if at least one or both of them did, but that's different than like maybe a public endorsement. Um, And, you know, so so that's an interesting strategy, Um, you know, and and I I can tell you in the legislature where I serve, um, I didn't take any corporate donations for my first uh, four terms. And then um, I, I realized that I was just making myself more, more vulnerable to beat in a re-election campaign. And I haven't voted differently in the, you know, since I started taking them. But I do believe most, if not all, of my Democratic colleagues in the legislature do accept corporate money. I think Jim DeBacchus said he didn't, but then I heard lobbyists telling me that he did cash their checks. And so I don't know. I, you know, and DeBacchus isn't there anymore. I'm not trying to criticize him. But yeah, I think your point's well taken. All right, good enough. That's all we got for this week. All right. Thanks, Corey. We'll see you next time. See ya.